Welcome to the Gospel According to Star Trek podcast. I'm Kevin C. Nice. And I'm Tim Van Orden. And this is episode 20, There is a Pride. We'll be starting off with some Star Trek news and then discussing Discovery Season 3, Episode 12, There is a Tide. And then we'll get into our audience question right after our main topic, There is a Pride, about the pride of not just Osira in this episode of Discovery, but also of Gul Dukat in Deep Space Nine. Ha 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 ha. Hope you enjoy it. Please stick around. Sir, it is a new year. That it is. This is our, not only is it our 20th episode, huzzah, we're huzzah. one quarter of a way to 100 episodes, which means we're almost to syndication. We're one fifth of the way to 200 episodes. Well, that's, that's okay. right. You know, five out of four people struggle with math. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I would be great at math if it weren't for all the numbers. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we are, we are, it's, it's, it's not only our 20th episode, but it's our first episode of 2021. So it is our, our 20 in 21. I mean, we can just do something clever with that. We didn't even, you know, go ahead. I, I got, I got to, I feel like it has to be said this episode, our 20th episode yeah. is so special because it's been all year in the making. How, oh yeah, that's right. We've spent the entire year thinking about pondering, planning this episode. Therefore, it is going to be the most immaculately constructed thing we've ever produced. At least so far this year. So far this year. the be- I promise, I guarantee you the best episode of the year right here, right now. Let's get into it. And we <laughs> wonder why these episodes go on for so long. <laughs> no, we don't. So, uh, um, what kind of news do we got? I'm, I'm excited about I, mine. Yeah, please, t- share, yes. Okay, I, so, please. thank you. In our our um, tradition now to have something about Janeway or Kate Mulgrew. As um, often as possible. As often as possible, yes. Um, apparently, the Star Trek... I started to say Star Wars. Apparently, the Star Trek <laughs> You Voyager always start doc- to say Star Wars. Yeah, I know. <laughs> apparently, the Star Trek Voyager documentary is going to start crowdfunding pre-orders in March. Nice. Uh, this is from trekmovie.com. Again, hashtag not spawn. But mm-hmm. um, we'll include a link in the description. But I'm excited and looking forward to a Voyager documentary. I really enjoyed the DS9 documentary. So yeah, I did I too. Hope this is and good too. and uh, you know, we 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 talked before about the uh, you know the 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 addendum documentary to Deep Space Nine. But this this is really great. I, I I'm really looking forward to a Voyager documentary. There are a lot of Voyager fans out there, even though Voyager gets a lot of. Mm, not the most love, I think, <laughs> out of Star Trek series. It's not the strongest of it's the not. series, but it's got some really compelling characters and some really good moments. It has a lot of really compelling characters and really good moments and a ton of missed opportunities and major screw-ups. Yeah, but, there is that. Uh, <laughs> but, Can I you mean, imagine Ensign Harry Kim watching Discovery right now and being like, third season <laughs> in, and she already... Is first officer. Oh, she's first officer. No, she's captain, for goodness sakes. She's well, captain. I mean, like, come on. I don't know if Harry ever got the con. I, <laughs> I think he, he did ever. once or was, twice. Was he? Maybe. Yeah, because remember Maybe. there was that one episode late in the series where he got to be in command of this alien ship. Oh, but no, I mean, like... but of the Voyager, though. Well, I know, but he got when to be a captain get... for an yeah, episode. But, but, even, but even for somebody to, like, just leave the bridge and be like, Harry... 
you got the center seat. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. Happened. Like at the at the end of that episode, I think um, either Chakotay or uh, Janeway like gave him a little knowing nod and said like, "Kim, you have the con." Maybe I'm al- I'm almost positive he gets the con at the end of that episode. Okay, well that's cool, but you know, still. <laughs> I think I think Tilly's out outstripping him. I think you're very yeah. right. But yes, I'm excited about the about the Voyager documentary. That's going to be really cool. Um, hopefully, it will increase my appreciation for the series because I do I do feel like I focus on its faults more than I fall focus on its good qualities. Unfortunately, in my memory, really that surprises yeah. me because like of the two of us, I feel like you're the one that's that's more effusive about the series. Well, I'm I'm definitely I definitely try to focus on the positives as often as possible you know like in 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 the book i i really made a point to not talk about the stuff that i didn't like about me like to write the into darkness chapter i had to write a couple paragraphs about everything i hated in the movie just to get into it and then i went back and deleted those paragraphs (laughs) so so just uh, a quick aside what book would you be talking about the Gospel According to Star Trek, the original crew, available now from Cascade Books um, and on KevinCNeese.com uh, and on in five booksellers everywhere. Can you say, like, wherever books are sold? or Wherever or that... books are sold. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. I mean, I oh, know. that's it's, cool. Yeah, Barnes & Noble or wherever. It's, yeah, it's Sweet. out there. Am- Amazon and, and Hearts and Minds Bookstore. You can go there. That'd be a great place to buy it. Never heard of that. Um, okay, what's next? Well, it's, it's an independent bookstore. I, I, anyway, kind of know the owner, but anyway. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> my piece of Star Trek news. My piece of Star yes. Trek news. We we only have one each this time, but for all of you Admiral Cornwell fans out there, of which I am one, definitely. Are you? Are you an Admiral? You're an Admiral Cornwell fan, aren't you? Um. Give me a minute to Google Admiral <laughs> Cornwall. Cornwall or Cornwell? Cornwell. Cornwell. From uh, from uh, Discovery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I loved her. She yeah, was awesome. Isn't she wonderful? Yeah. Before, yeah, we, yeah, had yeah. Adver- before we had Admiral Vance um, to love, we, mm-hmm. had, we had Admiral Cornwall. Yeah. No, and she was great. She was fantastic. Well, anyway, um, the actor who played her. Jane Anderson. Or Jane no. Brooke. She no, was Jane. born Jane Anderson. She's now Jane She's Brooke. Jane Brooke. Yes. Jane so Brooke. That's that's her married name. Right. Um, is is in a, in a new uh, YouTube series. Or not. Apparently her spouse is John Terleski. <sighs> well, anyway, whatever the case is. <laughs> Jane Brooke. Maybe that's just her professional name. Yeah, perhaps. Huh? Yeah. So yeah. with Dr. Mohammed Noor, who is the Star Trek science consultant, science consultant on season three, she he's one of the technical consultant, technical consultants on season three of Star Trek Discovery. Well, we could use um, one of those, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. <laughs> anyway, they are doing a series um, on his Biotrecky Explains channel. He's a biologist, hence Biotrecky. And um, they are they are doing they're using episodes from season three to talk about real world science concepts and uh, and also to talk a little bit about um, about Jane's time on uh, on Discovery and uh, her, her sort of behind the scenes stuff as an actor. So really cool. I'm very, very cool. excited about that. That, that that's, does sound neat. Yeah, that was actually sent in by listeners. So thank you very much. Uh, hey, you know who you are. But um, yeah, it was really cool. I, I, I'm 
I'm excited about that. So, because there's a long history, you know, of science consultants on Star Trek. This is the difference between this is why Star Wars is not science fiction Uh-oh. and Star Trek is because Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek is not hard sci-fi. That's, that's, it's not. That's no. <laughs> well, I, I will give you that. But oh yeah, Star, there's Star no Wars bones is about space it. Fantasy. Star Wars is Star Wars is star <laughs> fantasy. It's yeah, sci fantasy. Yeah. It's it's not sci-fi. Yeah. Space fantasy. Well, yeah. I mean, it's fiction, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. space fantasy. Yeah. So, but yeah, but there's always been, you know, from the original series on, there have been scientific science consultants. So it's cool to actually see the one who is currently this, the one of the technical consultants on the series mm-hmm. talking about science and Star Trek. Yeah. So it's exciting. It's cool. That is cool. Awesome. So speaking of science, um, and admirals, see, oh, speaking of cool admirals in Star Trek Discovery, our current cool admiral, Admiral Vance, is probably at his peak in this episode. This week. I mean, he was he was pretty rock solid. I wow, <laughs> I enjoyed that performance. I I I uh, I love him more every episode, <laughs> and I and I am pretty sure I'm not the only one um, who can say that because he just. Um, he's just such a great character. Um, and, and the, the, the same, the same way we see with Saru as kind of being such an, uh, such an exemplar of, uh, a Star Trek captain, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I feel like Admiral Vance again, like he's the kind of guy you want to be, you know, the vanguard of the Federation right now. Yeah. And he's not like, uh, both he and Cornwell, uh, Discovery's been pretty good about not giving us the pain in the rear, almost bad guy antagonist admiral, or completely actually bad guy admiral, right? Bad admiral, right. right? Which you know, um, some some people had uh, had thought that Vance might be for a while. Actually, I have heard commentators who were not sure about Vance, like whether he could be trusted or not, until this episode. But wow! This was the one that put them over the top. Yeah. Huh. I don't know why, but um, I just I loved him from the beginning. But Odin Fair is. Um, yeah, I, a part of it for me was definitely the actor. I'm like, I really, I'm going to trust him because I like him. Yeah. Well, right, right. Well, of course, I already knew Odin Fair. I mean, I'd I'd seen him in the Mummy, so we're old friends. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right, right. So, yeah, immediately that gives you uh, that gave me a little bit of trust in the character. But then also, I just felt like I understood his motivations, and I didn't see anything shady about him, even right. though he thought he saw things shady in the Discovery crew when they first mm-hmm. showed up. I thought that was reasonable, but but those scenes between him and Osira to me are like the heart of the episode. Right. They. I think it's supposed to be the B plot, but it feels, but like it's it's the weight of the episode is there. Like yes. yeah yeah they're fighting to say to recover the ship. Yeah yeah rah rah they're gonna do it. Right. Um, but this is the one that was like I did not see her proposition coming. Right. And so I was really intrigued to see where they went with it. Mm-hmm. And especially for a moment there, he looked like, well, maybe this is something that we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, at that moment, it was hard to see a downside on the deal she was offering, too. You know, it's not until he turns it around on her. Um, mm-hmm. But that therein lies what makes those scenes so great. I feel like, honestly, 
Like, there are great dialogue scenes in Star Trek. That's something you can always count on. There are going to be great dialogue scenes. There are going to be great, like, um, duet scenes, you know, mm-hmm. between two actors who are just going at each other one way or another. Either having a philosophical conversation or having a confrontation or a little bit of both or whatever. And this, to me, was like, was like it was, this is a scene for the ages. Like, this is one this of the is- great quintessential star trek yes yeah and of course directed by none other than jonathan frakes of course who is amazing and wonderful and such a perceptive and 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 thoughtful director and just listening to him talk about directing these scenes in particular in the ready room i need to watch Um, that oh you need to check it out it's wonderful um just to see his you know to see him um Talking about his process as a director is just fantastic. Um, there's, you know, you can you can sort of um, there's there's sort of that cliche, you know, what I really want to do is direct, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, there was definitely an open door for the actors in Next Gen and stuff to to come on and start trying to to direct episodes, and they were you know they were given every all the tools they needed to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them really became directors, and Jonathan may be chief among them. Um, he certainly directed more Star Trek than than most people. I think it's 22 yeah. episodes Ow. of Star Trek that he's directed. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. The only series he didn't direct for, live action series he hasn't directed, didn't direct for, was Enterprise. Um, and, and he showed up in Enterprise. I mean, Frakes <laughs> is just all over Star Trek. But, huh. Yeah. That's so freaking amazing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I just I just feel like that that whole scene and everything there because because Vance uh, do we want to get into that or do we want to do we want to go to the rest of the episode and come back to this? And let's let's come back to it. But okay, we'll before we get to too far afield from that conversation, I want to ask yeah. you, do you think she was tricking the lie detector hologram Eli? No. You don't? No, I do not. I think she was. I think the the possibility that the hologram could be messed with was set up earlier in the season when Giorgio mm-hmm. wigs him out and breaks the the holograms. Yeah, but she didn't do anything tricky like that. I, I well, really I think her. Beth and I Beth and I were talking about it, and we think that that little bit where um, it does catch a lie mm-hmm. was her intentionally throwing a lie out there so that he wouldn't get suspicious that she hadn't said a single lie. No, I don't buy it. I think she was trying to get away with a lie, and she knows how to. She she might know how to try to like control her body a little bit or something. But but I really I, believe she's sincere. Either way, that line for me was the best one in the whole episode. What he's malfunctioning? Let me let me oh, let me. Oh, it glitched. Let me try, ask me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Oh, that was a great moment. Absolutely great and 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 superbly played by Janet Kidder. Yeah. Um, as was everything. But we'll get uh, I guess we'll get we'll go back to that, right? Okay. We'll, we'll talk about the rest of the episode and then we'll go back to that because that's Let's such a great. Uh, um but what do you think of the rest of the episode? It was cool. It was um standard crew retakes the ship sort of episode stuff. Except really really well done. Like, oh, we, we, we have uh, we have Zara coming back, right? Right. The, the, um... the villain from which I really hated in the preview when it says next, you know, previously on Star Trek Discovery, it showed his character. 
uh-huh. yeah. from like the second episode in the season. I was like, darn, now I know he's coming back. Right. And like, so I knew when he walked in the room, I was supposed to have this big like gasp and surprise moment, you know, kind of like when I knew, when I knew, um, uh, what's his name? Carl was was the guardian of forever. I was like, oh, oh yeah, man, yeah. I wish I hadn't seen that coming because I gotta stop watching the last previously on Discovery part. Right. <laughs> I always I always skip the next time stuff, you know. Oh yeah. Clips with the next episode, but um, yeah, they kind of gave it away. But it was cool to see him again. That was exciting. Yeah, it, it was cool. It was, and he I, he felt a lot more menacing in this episode than he did in that first one. See, but I thought that... he was menacing in the first one too. Well, see, the first one, he just felt kind of generic bad guy. Like, okay, this is just a second episode villain. He's a throwaway guy. And sure enough, he goes out into the cold and mm. yada, yada. We're never going to see him again. So, I, And I was actually a little bit surprised when he came walking in. Yeah, I, yeah it was a I, surprise because we thought I, he was I, dead. But I did kind of wonder at the end of that episode when they let him, they sent him out to die, you know, kind of. I was like, hmm. You know, whenever we don't actually see someone see kick the, body, the bucket, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you just kind of have to hold out That's uh, true. any judgment that they're actually gone in, in any true. science fiction. But um, and even when you do see them, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> die slowly of radiation poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> Magical triple blood. <laughs> oh, gosh. That wasn't the one I was thinking of. But yeah, <laughs> that one too. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. Man. So um, yeah, he was cool. What I want to know: Why did Book and the Andorian have to stay behind in the barricade? Like, why couldn't they have just ran off with everybody else too? Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have, but I mean, think I think the idea was that. Even though everybody's life signs are kind of getting lost in the shuffle, we know where they started from, right? And so sure. we know that within a certain amount of time, the, the longer the longer there is between they're not in the room to, you know, to, to, to going after finding them. Like the longer you have between looking for them, what, what am I trying to say? If you can keep if you can keep the people at the room longer, it gives your people more time to get lost. Right, right. In the in the noise, mm-hmm. so they're kind of serving to distract, if you will, you know, or provide a buffer, mm-hmm. so that if they're kept busy and they think, oh, you know, they're armed inside, they don't know who's inside, they don't know how many are inside or anything like that, um, then that gives that just buys them some time buys everybody else some time to 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 get away and disperse right so that's what that I makes see. sense when did you know rin was gonna die um i think at the moment when the guy in the in the wheelchair gave oh, yeah. her the look like no let him go i'm like that's when i'm like okay yeah i knew she was gonna have to do something to prove him wrong because they were playing up his um, his faith in her so much. Yeah. You're like, okay, she has to do something in front of him now to show him how wrong he is. Right. So that he'll flip sides. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, it was right, right then when. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's, that's fair. Um, I, I have to say, and I was really sad about this, but the minute Ren turned to book and said, I have to do this. 
when they were oh, barricading oh, themselves yeah, in the room. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, don't kill Rin. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually so. thought Book was gonna die. Really? Yeah. Oh no, Book's baked in. <laughs> Book's baked in. There's no way they're gonna kill Book. Um, but yeah, I was sad to see him go. I was really sad to see him go. Um, so why did Michael send off a random message to her mother in the Jeffrey's tubes? She thought she's, she she's might... fighting to take the ship back, and right. she's like. I'll take the time to send a goodbye message to my mom. Well, and also, you know, in hopes of getting some help, you know, because, like, uh, who knows who else may be able to help. And to, to let somebody who she trusts know, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on. She can't she can't reach out to the rest of the Starfleet or anything. They're all there. Right. Everybody's right. Uh, everybody's there and everybody knows what's going on. So it's uh, so. Yeah, it's that, and it's also like, hey, you know, this might be it. I might yeah. die. So there's that too. So I think that was her. That was her motive for that. Um, I didn't expect that, but I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really sweet. Um, oh man, I I about lost it every time they mentioned regulators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mount up. <laughs> That was pretty good. Uh, That's pretty good. Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, and and what about this? So uh, what was it? What was I thinking? Um, oh, Aurelio. I don't even know who Aurelio is. He's the the invigilator, the uh, the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, well, it's the not a wheelchair. Dude. It's a hover okay. chair. Well, it definitely a nod to uh, Pike's chair. Well, possibly. Kenneth Mitchell, the actor who who played Aurelio, actually has ALS. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he's he's I think been recently, somewhat recently diagnosed. Um, okay. So he, the, he actually needed to be in something, right? He couldn't mm-hmm. actually stand and do his do his performance. He needed to have something. So they designed that for him, for him to be able to do his scenes. Um, they designed that, oh, that cool. chair thing just just for him to be able to do scenes. He has actually been in Discovery several times already, mostly playing Klingons. Really? And yeah, yeah. And um, but it's weird because when he showed up as Aurelio, I, he looked familiar to me. I felt like I had seen him before, but I can't find that I have. I know I have seen him before because he mm. was in Captain Marvel. Um, but uh, but he didn't. He looked different, and he played a different kind of character. There was something about his performance, something about the tone of this character that felt familiar to me, and I don't mm. know why. But I absolutely loved his performance. I thought it was utterly beautiful. It's one of the highlights of the episode for me. What is the deal? Like Discovery keeps having these guest stars that blow me away. These guest actors that I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but hey, could... let's hmm? let's not forget about the main cast. I I was that final scene between um, Stam- Stamets and Michael. Oh, and Michael. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And what about the ethical dilemma that Michael has in that moment? You know, I mean, do you think she made the right call? Do you think do you think that was the thing she needed to do? Oof. Well, I don't I don't know. Because, see, I'm I'm always of the mindset that repelling invaders off a starship is as simple as computer beam all intruding personnel off the ship into space and then 
Boom, except you get your shit back. Except that they've taken over the computer. I know, but why, you know, the, the sphere data didn't really put up much of a fight. For as much as a hindrance as it was when they were trying to blow up the ship, mm-hmm. it really just kind of rolled over in this episode. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It hid, anyway. I mean, I feel like that the sphere data could have just cleaned the floor with whatever they were trying to do. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what 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 abilities it would have or what what it could do. I don't know. That's fair. Those yeah, little robot things, though, I think is Star Trek's attempt to... Um, wait a minute. I don't want to spoil anything for you because you're like two seasons behind on Mandalorian. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so those of you who watch Mandalorian know what he's talking about. You know that this little robot thing is trying to compete, and you know there who you it's go. trying to compete with. There you go. Maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the little the little mouse robots that roll around on the floor of the Death Star. Oh, no, 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 no. There's this. Uh, but that reminded but anyway. me, though, there was like a, a third sci-fi show recently that also came out with a really cute little... I don't remember what it was. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, moving on. Um, so, but the thing was, yeah, I, I felt like I was interested to see that there were people who weren't sure about Michael's decision, because I kind of thought she didn't have much of a choice. I kind of thought that as long as Paul was on the ship um, and and the ship hadn't been taken back yet, that he was a liability, because if he's not on the ship, they can't use the spore drive, and they can't use him to try to figure out how to replicate the spore drive. And Mm -hmm. so they have to get rid of the threat before Paul can be on the ship. I they just have to because really literally the federation is at stake. And so I just I just kind of felt like yeah, I mean that's that's what it is to make a hard call as a captain. You know? That's mm-hmm. what it is. That's like um like Vance was saying in that scene we'll get back to later, you know, <laughs> like yeah. uh you know these are that these are the principles that I uh, that I fight for every day that the, what is it? The, the moral core or whatever I have it written down that I fight mm. for every day that I ask my people to die for, you know, that, that, that sense of the weight of command that you do, um, ask your people to die, you know, to, to, to carry out the, to carry out the things that need to be done mm-hmm. and to sacrifice themselves for, for this greater good. Um, that's, that's, that's heavy. And and I think uh, I think uh, I felt like she was forced to do it. I, I felt like she had no choice. I think she did the right thing. Um, even though I don't think I don't think Paul, I, I don't think Hugh and Adira and Saru were going to die. Oh, of course not. You know, but Michael and Paul don't know that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, but that was a, that was a big deal. But Michael, uh, Michael, this episode, you know, she was getting into some real diehard territory. Yeah. Um, I had I had glimmers of Starship Mine from Next Generation. Right, right. The the one with Picard being the only one left on the ship, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Tuvok trying to take it over. Yep, yep. But think about it. Think about <laughs> think about this moment. Okay. Here is, I mean, for those of you who know, who know Die Hard, but if you don't, well, you know, whatever. Um, but here is Michael, right? She is alone in this place where a terrorist has infiltrated and taken over a facility, right? 
she has a a a wound right that a bleeding wound that she's dealing with that she has to manage um the, ultimately she is she is barefoot crawling around in a in a in a tunnel on a, on a, like a walkie talkie thing talking to the villain oh my gosh isn't there a line there's yeah there there's got to be i'm almost positive now there's a line in die hard where he tells franz or Han, Hans, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, Hans, Hans Gruber. Uh, yeah, he tells him, I think you're going to need some more bad guys, right? Or something oh, along those he? lines. Oh, he might. Something like I, that, know, yeah. He, oh. There's a fair amount of quips in there. So you're going to need some more regulators. I that feel might, like that was another oh. Die Hard reference. That might have been. I felt like I felt like they really went for it. Like I was like, that feels a little contrived. Like They may have really seriously been trying to call back to Die Hard on this episode. I think they may have. Yeah. It was just like there's so many things here. They're just like so. I'm gonna have to go watch Die Hard now and uh, see if I can spot all the. Yeah, see before before our son grew up, that was that was a Christmas tradition for for Melissa and me. Uh, She uh actually she actually introduced me to the Die Hard movies. I mean, I knew they existed, but I never watched them. I wasn't interested at all. But she loved them, and so the first two movies we would always watch at Christmas while we were wrapping presents because they're Christmas movies. Yep. So the first one absolutely is. I don't. Call the yeah, second, the second one, one is well. also Christmas. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it's more romantic too. So she really was into ah. that, you know. <laughs> so it's funny because she's like she's she's into action movies and she's into romance. So you know, it's cool. Well, um, I, I bet she's gonna love Deadpool. You know, I don't know. I don't know if she's seen that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I just, I love this episode all around. I mean, even though, like you said, oh, and, and even just the stuff with the, with the, the, uh, the bridge crew escaping, you know, mm-hmm. I love that. And yeah. I, T- Tilly took charge pretty well. She and did. The, the, the Morse code. <laughs> the Morse code. <laughs> what were you saying? Brilliant. Keep tapping. Keep tapping. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And what's great about it, too, is you see how Tilly functions as sort of one of the group, you know? Mm-hmm. She's very much behaves like a peer with them uh, when they're doing the actual escape. Uh, but then as soon as they've overtaken their captors, she's, bang, she's in giving orders, you know? She's mm-hmm. definitely in command. And, and she knows stuff, you know? She's like, she knows, like, others... I don't know. She says, go, go take care of this because there's a thing behind that and you need to go get in that, whatever it was. I don't remember, but you know, just workings of the ship and stuff that you would know if you're, um, you know, lower decks or whatever. (laughs) And, um, so, so it's really cool. It's really cool to see Tilly like, um, being, um, being of the people as it were, but also able to lead and maybe able to lead because she is of the people, you know, mm-hmm. um, I find right. that, I, I just find that really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. So, and I think that says something too about respect, right? That it's, that it's, it's something that you, uh, that you earn. It's not something that's given. It's not something that's bestowed upon you. It's something that's earned. And, uh, mm-hmm. and Tilly actually, you know, I think back to the, the, you know, say yes scene, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> um, I think Tilly really earns that the respect that she has, which is why we can buy that an ensign can be captain. Because some of us can, apparently I there can. are people out there. Oh yeah, I, I can too. People, yeah, I know there are people who who like me. I mean, at the beginning, I was like, well, there's no way it's going to be Tilly, even though from from a character standpoint, it makes sense because mm-hmm. she doesn't have the rank. But right, yeah. 
she does have the skills for sure. And and that's where Star Trek starts to step away from the the hard sci-fi. Well, or the, or the hard, or the or the pure military, military. Yeah. the pure military, which I think is good. I like that. I like that Starfleet can can flex like that. Yeah, um, I think that's important because it means that humans come first and humanity comes first, and the goal is more important than the structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like uh, you know, uh, you know, it's it's like. Um, Somebody recently said that, um, you know, money is not the goal. Money is a tool you use to reach your goals. Right? If money is your goal, you're always going to be unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. You're always going to get there and you're going to be like, oh, I have all this money. Great. Now what? Because you haven't pursued anything that actually makes your life richer. Right. You're really richer, like truly more meaningful, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not about the money that you get. It's about what you do with it and what it enables you to do with your life and how it enables you to um, to live with your family, right, and, and engage in your community and become a better human being. And if those things are it's the same as education, you know, the goal of education isn't just to get a degree to hang on the wall to get a better job. Mm-hmm. The goal of education is to become a better human being. And that is that is not just an intellectual process, but is necessarily a spiritual process. They're, the two are, are entwined. And so when we don't have that, boy, I'm just going off on it, but here we go. Yeah. When we don't have that holistic view where we realize that everything that we pursue in life is about who we become as human beings, which is about our spiritual growth, which is about our orientation toward God, which is about our pursuit of relationship with God and with other humans, um, if we if we lose that focus, then we are going to find that things continually will be will be empty for us. So in the same way, it's like in you know, yes, rank is something that is a tool basically to get the job done. Mm-hmm. But if the person has the gifting and the talents and the trust of the crew, they can do the job of a captain because they have the gifting and the talents and the trust of the crew because right. that's what's most important you know uh, mm-hmm. rank is just a tool so anyway it's like yeah. it's like wesley crusher saving the day right you know some right. people in the audience might get rankled but the crew are like yeah wesley can save the day that's fine right. exactly they're like hurrah go wesley exactly uh, unless you're warp the child <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so anyway that's, that's kind of an aside but just kind of like kind of like last week it's kind of an aside mm-hmm. but i think it's i think it's really important to remember and I, I think i think the more we see um that 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 humanity affirming function uh in starfleet i think the better things the better off we are the better things are so i like moving away from the from the pure military. yeah um so what else do we need to say about this episode before we get into the Let's see the meat of the um we covered the breakout we covered the uh i don't know if the... we really talked about i mean well i guess we did talk about the thing with, with stamets mm-hmm. um we kind of glanced past it i feel like think about the thing with stamets though think about that i mean Wh- which thing there were two things the, with stamets uh, oh sorry sorry up, sorry but... um the thing with stamets and michael oh okay right think about that like you know, when he's when he's yelling at her, you know, when she's mm-hmm. got him in the bubble and she's about to blow him out the blow him out the window. Yeah. And he's screaming, you know, we came to the future for you. We followed right. you. 
We believed in you. Oh, my gosh. The heartbreak and the betrayal. I mean, you can see. I mean, that's that's the thing right there. I think Paul breaks right there where he just feels ultimately betrayed by Michael. Mm-hmm. Absolutely betrayed. Like, not just betrayed in this moment, but like, but betrayed thoroughly mm-hmm. like this yeah. is a this is a breach in like is this is this the sort of thing you can atone for yeah yeah Ooh, atonement that sounds like a theme we could use for an episode you know i might have thought that <laughs> but i'm i'll be really interested to see if it, you know how how that's able to work out you mm-hmm. know and what it's what it's going to take for paul to forgive michael for michael i mean for michael to forgive herself um, I really think, obviously, her her choice is going to be vindicated in the end. But you know, sure. is, is it going to be at the cost of of Paul's trust? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. So, um, but yeah, atonement is a is a great and and that comes into that scene with with Vance and Osira. Um, which I just want to say once again, the closer you get to Osira's face, the better it looks. But boy. When they're really getting into it and, and she's she's snarling at Vance and she's like, you know, we all had to make sacrifices, you know, in the burn, right? Mm-hmm. You can see that Janet Kidder's nose is wrinkling up, but her prosthetic isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, ugh. It was such um, a poor decision. I've, I've, I, I, yep. I've loved everything visually about this show since day one yes uh, except for the klingons kind of they took some getting used to klingons yeah but a little difficult the the costumes the makeup everything has been great and then you mm-hmm. get to these um orions and i just ah it's just it not mm. your bo- it's borderline uncanny valley yeah yeah you're right i and love it, the it way- feels like like she's like the actress is concerned beth was pointing this out like with the eyes, you can you can fade it in, right? Because there's there's yeah, that there's area edge. Yeah. you can feather it feather edge it in, but with the lip you can't. Yeah. So it 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 looks like the actress is trying to not move her lip so that she doesn't knock the prosthetic loose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's just it just it just immobilizes the upper half of her face and Yeah. It's such a shame because you can see the performance in her eyes. You can see the performance in her mouth and her body and everything else. And then her eyebrows just don't move. Yeah. It's like, man. Uh, But it's still a great scene. And and I love the look. I love the look of the character, actually. Maybe it's because she does look like Margot Kidder. Boy, I saw it all the time this episode. Um, That's funny. But anyway, point is, um, (laughs) but this scene is about one thing, and that's the apple. Um, oh goodness! <laughs> You're gonna go there, huh? <laughs> Did you notice what I love about the apple in the scene is 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 that it has no seeds. There's there's not even a uh, core. It's you're just right. it's just pure apple meat all the way through, which is fantastic, because it's you know it's 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 made from poop, and <laughs> <laughs> which I love. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> And her reaction she just, just makes like, it out. Bleh. Bleh. <laughs> that was wonderful. Oh, but what that I was greatness. 
you know, but what I love about it is, is, you know, as Vance is like, you know, it's not bad for poop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and basically I didn't have to sell my soul for it, you know? Like, right. Yeah. There's, I love that. I absolutely love it. Um, which is kind of what happened in the garden, right? Selling her soul for the apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm I'm very interested. We're gonna do we're gonna do a podcast episode sometime. I think maybe on the history of apples in Star Trek, because there is a strong history of apples in Star Trek. We were just kind of rattling some of them off before we started recording, but um, but you know, uh, I, it's. It's interesting. It's like it's like the most commonly eaten, most commonly referenced fruit in all of Star Trek is the apple. So it'll be interesting to talk about that. I don't know. <laughs> Will it though? I think so. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think you'll find something there. You're Maybe I don't know. I, I was I was trying to I was trying to like figure out like a like an Eden reference or whatever in the scene, but I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just kind of not going there right now. I'm just kind of riding you know riding the wave of. Of, of what it is and and yeah, we'll work right, on it later writing a wave oh like a tide oh like a tide. okay so um speaking of the the episode title which i think is important since we kind of folded it into um our title for the episode right. for our episode uh, there is a tide is a reference for those who didn't catch it like me um <laughs> is a reference to shakespeare uh, yes, because every reference in, in Star Trek is either to uh, Shakespeare or the Bible. Yeah. And uh, this actually comes from Julius Caesar. Brutus has the line, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. So the idea is that when you have a boat, you wait for the tide to be able to launch it, right? So when the tide rolls in... When you get high tide, then it's time to get ready to go because that tide's going to take you out. Right. Um, and uh, and so the idea is that there's an opportunity in this particular case. It's the opportunity to um, to to win a war. Basically, it's like if we don't move now, the opposing forces are going to gain more strength. We're going to miss our opportunity to overtake them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much about um, about taking advantage of an opportunity. And I, I was interested in the scene in between Vance and Osiris. And I think there are other places in the episode too, where you could draw when you can, where you can find it, but there, there, there does feel like there's a tide rising, right? Like there is an opportunity here, mm-hmm. here. We could bring the whole Osira conflict, the whole Emerald chain conflict to an end, which is huge, right? Well, and, and I feel like there's an opportunity for the Emerald chain to bring the Federation to its knees here as well. That's they have true the, too. They have the spore drive. That's true too. Um, they, they, that's very true. Yeah, you're right. And it could go either way. But I really think Osira ab- actually really wants peace. I think she actually really wants an alliance. I don't think that's fake at all. Um, I think that's genuine. And that's what makes Osira kind of a complicated character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's one of these people who. Um, and, and we have to ask this question too, cause we look at things like, I mean, even just little things like, um, Michael sending the regulator out of the airlock or, mm-hmm. or sending, sending Stamets off the ship. She keeps sending people off out, out of yeah. space in this episode. Um, but just those things where, you know, you, you have, our, we have our characters who are killing, Right to to save the ship to save the federation to save their fellows um all that sort of thing 
you know, we see our characters all the time, sort of at least being forced, if you will, uh, or feeling forced, are they really forced, to cross these moral and ethical lines in order to uphold these principles that they hold dear. Mm -hmm. And I think Osira is somebody who has crossed a lot of lines to try to uphold a principle they hold dear. And there's that line between uh, between freedom fighter and terrorists. Well, sometimes the difference between a freedom fighter and a terrorist is just what side you're on. Sometimes it is, but also I think it has to do... Um, I think it has to do with character. You remember back in the scene with uh, with Stamets and Aurelio, when um, Aurelio, he and Aurelio are talking, and mm-hmm. Aurelio is talking about all the good that Osira has done and how she basically saved his life, right? Which you can see as a great magnanimous thing, but it's also earned his total loyalty. Mm-hmm. which is something that she can manipulate and she can use. And, and Stamets has this great line. He says, I believe you when you say that she is more than what she appears to be, but she is also exactly what she appears to be. I think that is so important um, as we look at, uh, as, as we're evaluating and trying to understand people and how they operate you know, like reportedly Adolf Hitler was really good with kids, you know, <laughs> like like he would like play with them in the streets and stuff. And he was really nice. <laughs> but, you know, he also killed a lot of them. Right. right. So, uh, you know, there's that there's that sense of like, you know, that people don't tend to be all one thing. Mm-hmm. And so what is what really shows their character? What really shows their heart? Trigger warning. Mentions of sexual assault. Feel free to skip the next two minutes, or we encourage you to find a support person. You know, in the in the in the Christian world recently, I don't know if you if you're familiar with this, I don't want to get too much into it, but um, a lot of people are talking about Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias was a well known Christian apologist, um, preacher, and uh, somebody who, you know, I I sold a lot of his books when I was in Christian bookstore uh, work. And okay. very well respected for a long time. And, you know, it's uh, since his death come out that he was a serious, uh, a, a serial um, sexual predator. Oh, my. Yeah. And uh, and so and it's it's, you know, just this past week been confirmed, you know, by his ministry. And there's going to be an independent uh, research, uh, independent uh, investigation yes. that's going to reveal more details uh, later uh, this week as we speak, this kind of stuff happens all the time, um, in, in, in Christian culture and in the culture at large, you know, and, and there's that question. It's like, yes, you know, um, speaking of Anthony Rapp, who was sexually assaulted by Kevin Spacey and you look at, uh, and he was the one who, who outed, uh, Kevin Spacey as uh, as a, uh, a a sexual assailant. I uh, did not make that connection. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, and so you have Kevin Spacey. It's like Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey is uh, a sexual predator, but he's also an amazing actor. He is both. Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that with that uh, that push and pull? And where is what really reveals the person's real heart, and what are you gonna, you know, 
you know, you can't turn a blind eye to that stuff. You can't excuse it. And, um, and, and I think, and a lot of these people too, they kind of mirror Osira and graft, you know, um, even if they apologize, this, this tendency to not truly accept responsibility, but to want to be restored anyway, right? To be want to, because that's the thing that, that causes this, this negotiation between Vance and Osira to break down. When Vance asks Osira to step up and, and, have, and have full integrity, you know, um, you know, Osira was talking about uh, Eli, the hologram, and saying, you know, why don't you base him on somebody who's known to tell the truth? You know, make it real instead of an idea, you know, and um, and and uh, Vance and they're, they're talking about the past. They're talking about um, about her making amends for her past. When when Vance comes up and says, look, you can't be the face of the chain for this. You can't be. Somebody else has to be somebody else who is objective, somebody else who um, will will put you on trial for your crimes. And she's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Right. Mm -hmm. And she says that stuff's in the past. And Vance says the past is the only light with which we can see the future. Boy, that's really important. And she says this is more abstractions. The past cannot be undone. And Vance says, but it can be made right. And, uh, and Osira is not willing. She says, he says, Osira, your people are good. I beg you to be as good as they are. Mm -hmm. And Osira is not willing to sacrifice herself. Ultimately, she's not willing to let go of control. She's not willing to let go of power to let the dream be passed on to someone else's custodianship. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order for that the dream may continue, in order that it may survive. Um, she can't get past her own pride. Hey, that sounds like the title of an episode. Um, <laughs> she can't get past her own pride. And, um, and I think we see that a lot when people, um, they want to move on from mistakes that they've made they want to do right, but they don't want to actually make amends for the past. They don't want to actually admit because that admits that that means having to admit failings and possibly even uh, losing the ability to see the promised land, you know, mm-hmm. as it were to use another probably less appropriate biblical metaphor, but maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. What do you think about all that? Is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I'm rambling. I want to make sure I'm not, I'm not steamrolling. No, up. no, 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 no. I'm, okay. You're good. Okay. Um, so uh, that, that to me is kind of the, 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 the ethical crux, right? The moral crux of this episode. Um, you know, is this really a, you know, is this a deal with the devil or not? And I think if it's an ordeal, if it's a deal with Osira, it is right. As long as Osira mm-hmm. is, is getting things on her terms then yeah, it is kind of a Faustian bargain. It is kind of saying it is compromising too much. Um, everybody has to compromise in a negotiation. Everybody has to give something up. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how uh, peace is brokered. If, if you're in a negotiation and you're not willing to sacrifice to get what you want, then you're not really willing to negotiate. 
And that requires a certain level of humility. That requires a certain level of release of control. And, um, and that can be hard for people to, to have, and particularly when it has to do with your own guilt. And that's what Osiris is dealing with in that scene. I think Osiris is not willing to admit her own guilt. She's not willing to take responsibility, true responsibility for her actions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even, even the, the amendment, you know, or the, or the whatever it is, um, the law that she's proposing to abolish slavery, mm-hmm. even something as big as that, I think, is token honestly, coming from Osira until she's willing to, um, to take the hit herself. Yeah. But I can imagine all those people in slavery are like, you know what? If she doesn't want to take the blame, fine. Take me out of slavery. Right. I agree with you. No, you're, you're right. I mean, that's true. Um, but I think in the larger picture though, you know, in the larger picture, it's, it's, it's token in the sense of, how much she cares about it and how much she personally is actually sacrificing to do it. I feel like if she doesn't, if, if that wrong isn't addressed, it leaves the door open for it to happen again. Yes. All, exactly. all you're doing is just at this point, putting lipstick on a pig. If exactly. I think is the, the phrase. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, so this, I, I think we can get into our main topic now, can we? Oh, we've been in the main topic. We've been we've in got the main like topic. Thirteen minutes left. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so um, so this this brought to mind the whole thing with Osira in this episode brought to mind something, and I'm going to link the uh, link a description uh, link a, a, an article in the description of the episode, and please go check it out. Um, it's a very good piece. It's on StarTrek.com. It's not a long read if you're lazy like me. <laughs> you can get through it in like five to ten minutes. It's not that long. Yeah, I find I have a hard time reading longer things online. And maybe I because, do too. I cannot read long things on the computer. Maybe it's because we're looking at we're looking at light or something. I don't know. I don't know. Because um, it, 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 it is it is more tiring on the eyes. But anyway, yeah. um, this is an article by um, by Shonda Prescott Weinstein. Uh, or Weinstein is how I would pronounce that from German, but I, I could be wrong. Uh, it's actually from Yom Kippur from from last year, um, twenty nine. Well, year before last, twenty nineteen, yeah. uh, which by the way is my birthday. I'm just saying. Your um, birthday is twenty nineteen. My birthday is October 9th. <laughs> but Yom Kippur is celebrated from uh, sunset October eighth to nightfall October 9th. It is the uh, holiest day in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement. And on this Day of Atonement, uh, she's Jewish, and um, she wrote this article about these two episodes of Star Trek, one of Voyager called Jetril, and one of Deep Space Nine called Return to Grace. Jetril, we'll, we'll talk about very, very quickly, is about Neelix encountering this person who had done great wrong to Neelix's people killed over 300,000 Talaxians. Um, not by, by cre- he created the Metreon Cascade, which is a mass, mass destruction weapon um, that uh, killed 300,000 Talaxians. And he is trying to make amends for what he has done. He is trying to um, find a way to, to, to make some recompense, even though he can't truly reverse it. He's trying to undo some of the damage. And um, and it's about uh, Neelix's journey of 
trying to decide whether to, to forgive Jethro or not. And then uh, she puts it in conversation with this episode, Return to Grace, which focuses on Gul Dukat. And the thing about Dukat in this episode is that um, he wants Kira, he wants Nerys to forgive him for the things that he's done. And Nerys can't forgive him. And you might look at this and say, oh, well, you know, we've got a story about uh, characters who have trouble forgiving. You know, one of them eventually can forgive. Maybe the other one never can. Um, but it's less about that. And what she really points out is that while Jetril is trying to make amends for what he's done, trying to actually make make real recompense for, for the harm, actually repenting, if you will, which is turning around and going the opposite direction, not just going away from the thing you've done wrong, but working against it, um, making atonement. Um, atonement is um, well-defined by the, the way it's structured in English, at one meant, which is to, uh, to reconcile, to come back, um, to be at one with someone again instead of to be separated. You know, we talked about the, the betrayal um, that is felt in this episode of Deep Space, uh, of Discovery, and will there ever be atonement? Will there ever be um, mm -hmm. forgiveness for that? And um, she says, uh, uh, she says, uh, the Ducat has no remorse, and so the, when there is no remorse, there is no atonement. There's no understanding of why the Cardassians have had their power circumscribed, a consequence of their violation of humanoid rights. And she says forgiveness cannot begin when there is no repentance in sight. Recognizing that what he had done is destructive, Jetril instead spent the rest of his life trying to, uh, seeking to undo at least some of the horrors he had unleashed. He's the example of looking at and owning the worst parts of oneself and then trying to do something about it. Ducat, on the other hand, is an example of what happens when someone can't even admit to having done anything wrong. The lesson of Yom Kippur is that what matters is the repentance. But the secret which Ducat failed to learn is that forgiveness is just a bonus. And I think particularly in... In Christian culture, you know, we're so focused on forgiveness. Um, but I don't know how much we're, we're focused on true repentance and really reconciling with the wrongs that we've done. Um, you know, Jesus is the one who makes our atonement with God, ultimately, right? Jesus is the one who, who provides atonement for us. However you're... Um, your theology or your, your, your theory of how that works, um, you know, comes into play. Um, Jesus is the one who, who um, gives us atonement with God. But um, we also then, there is a repentance that, ha that has to happen before change really comes to our own hearts. There's repentance that has to happen between uh, one another even if you're already, um, you know, saved, however you want to look at that, even if you already consider yourself a follower of Jesus, there are all kinds of ways in which we may have to repent to, to each other. And the thing that keeps Ducat from doing that, the thing that keeps Osiris from doing that in this Discovery episode, 
is, as we say, pride. There is a tide, right? There is an opportunity um, to, to make peace, but there is a pride that gets in the way. Um, and of course, that makes us all think of Proverbs 6.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I think um, Dukat is a really good example of that, of, of a haughty spirit and pride going for destru- before destruction and before a fall. Uh, but it's because of that it's because of that lack you know you can't you can't expect to have your um, your past just expunged for you without doing the work of really um, really coming to terms with it really confessing it and really do something to make recompense for it that's a lot of me talking (laughs) what do you have to say Tim Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. Mm. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means undergoing a kind of death. In fact, it needs a good man to repent. And here's the catch. Only a bad person needs to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it, and the less you can do it. The only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person, and he would not need it. And who said this? Of C.S. Lewis, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> and uh, and so the the perfect person um, is Data. Is Data? <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. I think it's a really interesting way to look at it. I I I always ponder Lewis and think mm-hmm. about whether I agree with him or not. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that's one I'm going to, that's one I'm going to ponder. But I think, sure. You know, we talked, uh, was it last week? We talked about no one being beyond salvation in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. No one being beyond redemption. Right. Um, and yet there are those who choose not to be redeemed right and i i uh, in the vein of that previous talk previous topic osira does have a moment there where she can choose to Mm -hmm. actually be redeemed she can choose to let herself be tried Mm -hmm. um and to give an accounting of herself in front of the judge Mm -hmm. um to to use a uh, christian parallel there Mm -hmm. um and and she she turns away from it yeah well, and Ducat, Ducat does the same. Yeah, and it, it, I think it's the speed with which they turn away from it which kind of belies their intent mm-hmm. behind their actions. Or at least like at the, least the true condition of their hearts. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's the I like this quote. Yeah. I like this quote from Lewis a little better than the previous one. Mm-hmm. We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. I have heard others, and I have heard myself, recounting cruelties and falsehoods committed in boyhood as if they were no concern of the present speakers, and even with laughter. Mm -hmm. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of a sin. The guilt is washed out not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Christ. If we have Mm -hmm. repented these early sins, we should remember the price of our forgiveness and be humble. Mm. Mm. There's so much, I mean, there's so much there. Um, 
about time. I mean, you, you sent me a meme earlier, the Jordy meme, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> about um, expecting 2021 to be better just because it's not 2020. Right. right. And then and then um, I didn't like the way they worded it, but making 2020, 2021 better by being kind to people right. and, and, and standing up for people and helping others like mm-hmm. and like actually making benefit in the world. I, I think. Yeah. What? And and that speaks to like this is a topic we've talked about on the the pod previously with mm-hmm. um, this assumption that just because it's it's the future is going to be better. Right. Right. Like this is the 80s, man. Right, exactly, exactly. That the chronology alone doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't mean progress. You know, it means the opportunity for progress. Mm-hmm. But but it takes it takes people working for that progress for that progress to work out. That's um, that's what being the hands and feet of Jesus is all about. About bending that bending that arc that moral arc of history toward justice. True justice, you know. At the at the end of that uh, the scene, I know we're we're bleeding over into back into the discovery a lot this week. Yeah. Sorry, um, but at the end of, at the end of that week, uh, at the end of that scene, you know, Vance says to Osira, "I can promise you justice," and Osira, as she walks, that says, "Oh, I can promise you the same." But what 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 Vance is offering her is real justice, mm-hmm. right? The chance to make amends and to make set things to rights. Right. What Osira is talking about is vengeance. Yes. And there's a difference. There's a there's a huge we talked last week about retributive versus restorative justice. Vance mm-hmm. is offering restorative justice and and Osira is threatening retributive. A retributive sense of justice, more really just retribution. Uh-huh. You know, I was um googling some antonyms for repentance as we were trying to come up with a title mm. and i think the 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 one that stood stood out the most was vengeance yeah oh yeah exactly exactly yeah well like you said last week you know forgiveness is giving up the right to hurt someone just because they hurt you mm. right? I, the the old phrase is two wrongs don't make a right and the, the three lefts do <laughs> right but the the, the <laughs> two wrongs that's good. I like that. Uh, two wrongs don't make a right. But I, but I always put it this way: two wrongs don't make a right any more than two rights make a wrong. Right. So if you if you do if you Truly, know it's, you have it's a just, dizzying intellect. I know I know. But it's it's just another way to look at it. It's like if somebody did a good thing to me and I did a good thing back to them, that wouldn't suddenly be a bad thing. So why would I think that somebody did a wrong thing to me and I did a wrong thing back to them? That would suddenly be a good thing. Like, I think even when Michael, uh, well, I'm trying not to go back to Discovery. (laughs) (laughs) But even when our characters in Star Trek do things like kill somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. or cross lines like Cisco does in, in The Pale Moonlight. Um, in order to, to accomplish their goals. I think even when they do that, if they are to be morally upstanding characters, um, they have to feel like uh, they still they still lost something, right? Mm-hmm. That, that doing that wrong didn't make it right, you know? That it was still wrong to do whatever it is they did, you know? And that they have to, they have to deal with that and they have to live with that, um, that choice that they made. So anyway, I, I, I feel like I feel like that's an interesting interesting thing to talk about. I really encourage everybody to go read that article. I kinda I kinda read the end of it to you, but but go check that article out and think this week, uh, if you will, 
about forgiveness and about repentance and about the things that maybe you've left um, unaddressed in your life and the ways that you might be able to try to um, bring some healing for the hurt that you've caused in your life. Because you've caused hurt, you're human. Uh, so I know you have. So find those places and um, see if God might be calling you to um, to fix some stuff that you've messed up. Because we all have to do it. All right. So uh, for this week's question, we've got uh, an audience question from a listener who was encouraged or inspired by our discussion about the holodeck uh, ah, last week. Or ho hollow, hollow environments, anyway. Yes, hollow environments, yeah. right? Because we can't forget about Quark's hollow suite. Yeah. Well, and the and the the hollow environment in Discovery wasn't a holodeck either. So. Right. Well, that's fair. But anyway, go ahead. Speaking of the holodeck, do you feel like characters who have gained sentience, like the Doctor? or Moriarty, or Vic Fontaine, have truly gained sentience, or is the AI just that good? Um, and I mm. want to add on to that, if they have gained sentience in a, in a Christian, from a Christian mm. perspective, have they gained a soul? Hmm. Um, that's really interesting. Well, of course, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take the, 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 the first part there. <laughs> um, I threw you a curveball there at the end. You did. Uh, well, the whole thing is a curveball, honestly. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, I think this is uh, tantamount to the question, is XYZ person saved? Um, and the, the, the appropriate answer is, um, God only knows. The, the appropriate approach to that question is always the utmost humility. And I think humility then demands that um, we address a, a being um, who presents themselves to us as sentient um, and, and passes, you know, those tests for sentience. Well, let's, let's go back to measure of a man, you know, mm -hmm. next generation passes some of those tests for sentience. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, Picard says to, to, uh, Maddox in that, in that, in that uh, courtroom scene, you know, what if he, um, what if he exhibits, you know, that, that last, uh, that last, uh, quality self-awareness and even the slightest degree, what does that make him? What is he then? I don't know. Do you? You know, and then he turns to the adjudicator and says, do you? You know, um, and are, you know, are you really willing to risk uh, the possibility that you would be conscripting an entire species, you know, the new life that we are out here to find, you know? Are you really willing to accept the possibility that you were going to conscript them to servitude and slavery? And I think the same thing is true when we're looking at the doctor or Vic Fontaine or, or any other apparently sentient hologram. Um, you know, you, I, I think Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, I think they do it right. They go ahead and respect the apparent sentience that they see. Just like um, when uh, they were looking for a place to test the Genesis device, you know. And, and Carol Marcus is like, you boys had better be sure about this. If there's even a microbe, this thing is off. Why is that? Because if we terraform this planet and destroy any life that's there, then whatever life that could evolve into millions of years down the line, 
even. You know, we've interrupted its progress, and we're not God. We can't interrupt the progress of life. We can't interrupt the progress of evolution. I think it's a very, very, a very um, humble way to approach the kind of power that we have in technology. And so I think it's the same kind of thing. In, well, in then, that. if we've got this power to inadvertently create life with holograms, yeah. is that something we shouldn't be doing? Well, we have the power to, you know, inadvertently create life with, you know, <laughs> biology. Right, right. That's, that's fair. <laughs> I guess, but the writing a, a, holo, a holodeck, a hologram program mm -hmm. is is much more intentional in the sense like that I can make this person into whatever I want them to be. Right. That's true. Is it's, it truly sentience then if they... Well, most and... most of the time, the the holograms that you that you create, they don't become self aware. Right. Right. We're talking about do, things. Do that, they not become self aware just because it's not in their programming, or because we turn them off too quickly? Uh, I don't know. And that and that leads over and, into. Know, yeah, well, that that's prime directive stuff right there. Like right. once you've created a hologram, you can't turn them off if there's the potential for him to become a sentient species. Well, uh, yeah, probably, possibly, um, probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you, you know, that goes that goes back to the episode, the quality of life. You know, I mean, you're dealing with this in this incredibly hypothetical science fiction oh, sure, realm sure. of this uh, mechanical thing or this digital thing that that becomes a mind of its own and, and can exist on its own, which which of course breaks the bounds of what it is, you know, well, in itself. Well, except it can't really exist on its own, can it? It's it's require it's it yeah, requires the the components from the ship. It requires the energy. Yeah, well, we require food and we require true. air and we require you know. So it's not yeah. about that, right? That's it's fair. not about uh -huh. depending upon an environment or or you know a creator, right. a sustainer, God to make sure that we keep breathing. Um, it's <laughs> more about uh, when I say it, it's it exists on its own. It's more about um, it being that self-aware that 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 own having okay. its own mind, having right. their own mind, I should say. Um, so, and, and that's, that's one of those, those assessments that as measure of the man shows us as, um, the quality of life shows us, um, is, is difficult to, to assess is difficult to make. Um, but we can make it. And I think Star Trek shows us a good way forward for making that. Now to the second part of the question, does that mean they have a soul? Then you have to define what the soul is. Um, I do a whole talk called Matter Stream, um, which is talking about the soul in Star Trek, the whole concept of spirit and soul. And, and the, the word I use often in that is soulishness. <laughs> that is, uh, which is a thing that I think I made up, but I don't know. Um, soulishness, that is the quality of seeming to have something to it that is greater than itself. Right. Mm -hmm. I keep spark. Uh-huh. The divine spark. I always go back to that TNG episode emergence when when um, there seems to be a consciousness uh, forming on the Enterprise. And Data says complex systems can sometimes behave in ways that are entirely unpredictable. The human brain, for instance, might be described in terms of cellular functions and neurochemical interactions. But that description cannot explain human consciousness, a capacity which far exceeds simple neural function. Consciousness, he says, is an emergent property. 
Um, so something that's more than the sum of its parts, as, as Jordy puts it in the same scene. Mm -hmm. And so that soulishness, I think, exists in us. Where does it come from? You know, the way I explain things to my son, you know, we were talking about our brains the other day and I was like, yeah, but think about it this way. Our brain is our organ, is the organ, is the gray stuff in our head. But our mind is what goes on inside our brain. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, go ahead. I like a um, another C.S. Lewis quote. I think it is uh, that we don't have souls. We are souls. We have a body. Right, right. And I feel like that kind of once you take that angle, it doesn't matter whether that body is flesh and blood or if it's steel parts or if it's a hologram. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, again, where you have to approach it with absolute humility. Because, you know, we have the right. same idea with cloning, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't oh, see, I don't see any reason that we would think that a clone wouldn't have a soul. Especially because our concept of a clone isn't really what a clone actually is. Um, so I think when you talk about real world cloning, um, mm -hmm. I think you're definitely talking about, you know, you're creating new genetic material, you're creating another being. Um, and so, you know, then there's a the question of, of whether animals have souls and all that sort of stuff. And, and right. I really just think we have to approach that with humility. And mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's the best answer I, mean, I have. Shoot. There are elements of society of humans that we uh, some of us approach as as though they don't have souls. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of ways in which we do that. Um, I feel like the safe bet is to err on the side of. This is a creation of God. Mm -hmm. Honor it so. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, um, Rich Mullins, if you're if you're aware of him, um, great musician. Go check him out. Um, he died 20 odd years ago, um, tragically. But he was a great, great voice in Christian music. And and he toward the end of his life, which you know, wasn't supposed to be the end of his life, but was starting toward becoming Catholic. And uh, somebody asked him, they said, you know, well, what what about Catholics, you know, and they, you know, they venerate Mary so much, you know, and his response and do with this what you will. But his response was, you know, maybe Catholics don't honor Mary too much. Maybe we all honor each other too little. And I thought that was a really, really thoughtful response. We've talked several times about the Imago Dei, the image of God that is present in all humans. And, uh, and that it's so important to respect one another and honor one another's humanity because, um, because God is reflected in us. And so, um, and so I think that that idea of, um, of honoring each other the best we can, of, of being kind to one another the best we can, of giving ourselves for one another the best we can, would extend to any uh, form of life that seemed to present itself to us. We should always err on that side of humility and caution because, you know, as the Beach Boys said, God only knows. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So Thank thanks for the for question. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the question, listener. Yeah. All right. And keep sending them in. We keep we sending like them. We love them. them. All right. Well, what's, uh, what's next? You know, this is the last time, the last time I get to ask you this question uh, so for, for a while and get the same answer. So, Tim, what's going on next week? I have no idea. <laughs> 
I kid, I kid. Next week, we're going to be covering the 13th and final episode of Discovery Season 3 and see what else comes up. The episode is titled, by the way, oh, yeah. That Hope Is You, Part 2. Part 2. Uh, see, I saw that coming. I thought that was uh-huh. So that's exciting. I hope everyone will join us. And in the meantime, please like, share, rate, comment, and subscribe. And also, be sure to send us your questions, Gospel According to Star Trek, on Twitter or Facebook, and GospelTrekPodcast at gmail.com. We would love, as always, to discuss your questions on the show. Tim, do you have anything else to say to the folks at home? It is past my bedtime. You said that last week, sir. You guys said something different this week. Yeah. Okay. This week it is also past my bedtime. (laughs) That'll do. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Gospel According to Star Trek podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time. I'm Tim Van Orden. And I'm Kevin Sinise. And as Jesus said in John 10.10, live long and prosper. See you next time. Oh,